I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Baylor 23. It took overtime to get there, but the Sooners are the 2019 Big 12 football champions. Fifth in a row, 12th overall. Um, Heading to the playoff. I mean, there's so much to talk about in this episode that we've got 60 seconds, not 60 seconds, 60 minutes to try to get all the way through it. I want to start with obviously the Big 12 championship, we got to get into LSU. We've got the full bowl schedule for the Big 12. I think it's going to be a fun bowl schedule. But I, I do want to say this, Rich. I, I don't want to get into a habit of these type of admissions, but I feel like it's the second week in a row. You were right, and I was wrong. Man, that is great to hear on a recording, isn't it? Clemson killed Virginia. <laughs> Final score, 62-17. to 17. I locked him at 28.5 points. I went 2-1 and one on my Friday locks this week. That's the one I lost. Um, I just, I honestly didn't see it. And and it makes me wonder. Here's what's crazy. The, the odds are out for the Final Four. And Clemson, the three seed, is a favorite over Ohio State, the two seed. I think Clemson may be that sleeper. And and we'll, we'll jump into this later on. But honestly, I I like Oklahoma's draw. I, I like LSU. I like that matchup. I'm afraid of Clemson. And maybe it's just because I'm looking at 62 to 17 over UVA, and I never saw that coming. I still, I still think the ACC is weak. I mean, I, I if if UVA won that game, I don't know that Clemson's in the playoffs. I think the perception they of, they have to be though. Well, I don't know. I I, I get that, but I just so so check it out. I'm I'm just gonna jump in on your conversation here because all of the one loss teams removed themselves from the conversation by taking on a second loss, whether that was this week or two weekends, this past weekend or two weekends ago, except for Oklahoma. Clemson loses to Virginia. Virginia is a ranked team. It's the first loss for Clemson. I think regardless of what happens in that game, they're in. Yeah, I I mean, I guess Well, we'll never know now. But here's the thing. When it gets down to to the top four seeds – they got it right. Uh, there's there, this is one of those years. It's crazy. There was so much build up to this. Utah have a you know before Oregon lost Arizona State, uh, Oregon and Utah and Oklahoma and all these possibilities. Georgia being in there. Would the SEC get two? When all the dust settled from championship weekend, there's zero doubt they got it right. 
Right. Now you could you could make the argument between LSU and Ohio State at one and two, but making that argument, that's okay. Because everyone knows LSU and Ohio State deserve to be either number one or number two. Usually that argument, that that big argument is between four and five, and there's no argument. It's 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 done and and no one can complain. I mean, I, I really don't feel like I don't even feel like this is a and and what we were four weeks ago, we we're like, man. This is such a good reason. This is a great example of why we need an 18 playoff. <laughs> no, we don't. Here we go. You have four teams. I think clearly the four best teams. Now, two teams are going to lose on the 20th of December, and they're going to be like, yeah, see, they didn't deserve to be in there. That's that's what George is going to say, and that's what you know Oregon's going to say. They're, see, they didn't deserve to be there, but they did. Just because you lose, only one team gets to bring that trophy home. Just because you lose in that semifinal round doesn't mean you don't deserve to be there. It's the same thing as the Final Four in basketball. Four teams are going, but only one's bringing that trophy home. And two are losing on the first night of the Final Four. It doesn't mean they didn't deserve to be there. It just means they weren't the best team there. And and I think, honestly, if you want to have a debate over, over the, the four-team playoff, which I guess we've totally bypassed the Big 12 championship, we'll, we'll come back around to it. But if you want to have a debate over the four-team playoff, tell me who's the best team there. Out of the four? Yeah. Who's the best? Oh, uh, that that one you you simply can't answer at That's this the, point. And and here's yes, the truth. That's exactly that is, what I'm saying. At points, LSU has looked like the best team in the country on both sides of the ball. Uh, given another week, it is Ohio State. But the conversation, as you've pointed out, does center around Ohio State. I will be completely honest and transparent here. I didn't watch the beginning of the Wisconsin-Ohio State game because in my mindset, Ohio State was going to win that one by 30-plus points again. When I finally sat down, turned the TV on again, and said, okay, this this is the nightcap. Let's go ahead Turn on the Big Ten Championship. I turned it on, and it was 21-7 to in favor of Wisconsin. And I'm just going to tell you, Ohio State struggled. It, they visibly were struggling when I turned the TV on. We know the result of that game. Wisconsin doesn't score another point. But ultimately, I, I think if you're in the committee and you're having a debate over who's the top team, well, LSU won handedly. No concerns there, whereas Ohio State trailed for a good portion of that game, dropping them to that number two spot. It'll be very interesting if LSU and Ohio State collide in the championship, as many people expect. They've kind of elevated themselves to a different status this year. But I want to go back because I do agree with what you said. Clemson, an extremely good football team, but hasn't had any of the headlines because of the strength or lack thereof of the ACC. The only teams that they've played have come out of the SEC, and Clemson obviously beat those teams, but they're this dark horse candidate, and they're a team who I think, given time to prepare, can do exactly what they did last year when no one expected them to beat Alabama, and they just ran them off the field. Yeah, I think Clemson's dangerous in and I think Ohio State's dangerous just because they feel like they should have been number one, so they're going to be extra motivated. Um, I think that's going to be a great game. I, mm-hmm. That's that's the second game on well, the docket and, on the 28th. And, and give Wisconsin some credit because they were able to 
essentially look at the Chase Young problem and say, how do we solve it? Mm -hmm. And they began just moving the ball really quickly or obviously using Jonathan Taylor, which removed the strength of Chase Young, which is the pass rush, because <laughs> Cohn wasn't standing in the pocket right. attempting to deliver a pass downfield five to seven seconds within within the snap or after, excuse me, Ooh. the snap. That I that you, yeah yeah that that definitely played a part in that. It's a game plan that worked early. Just they couldn't get anything late. So since we're, I mean, this is going to take us through the first segment of the podcast we'll get into the big 12 championship here in just a minute um ohio state did you feel like they deserve to drop to number two and Clemson i did stay at number one do you feel like they, clemson's they got not right? number one i mean sorry lsu mm -hmm. at number one i, I the did tigers, just, the tigers at number you know, one you know one of the big things and, and the only reason that utah was above oklahoma for as long as they were was ultimately the eye test it wasn't game control right. or management of the game. It wasn't any of those factors. It was the fact that Utah had put a top three defense on the field and their offense was humming along. It, it appeared as though they were unstoppable, but we knew what happened when they faced a quality opponent who could actually throw the ball in USC, Oregon, obviously replicating that defensively, having some success there in the secondary and, and getting some turnovers out of a team that I don't – you can go back and look at the stats, but I know Huntley had thrown two interceptions all year long. I think he threw two in that game alone, which put him up to four. So he doubled it in, in the Pac-12 championship. Well, like I said, back, back to the point here was the eye test is ultimately that deciding factor in a case of the unbeatens and based upon the eye test based upon the strength of schedule it's easy clemson number three and then easy lsu number one for me if i'm on the committee yeah is, i did and I, liked, I have a vote i liked what uh dabble sweeney said to his team he was like uh you know first time in history that a team has been the defending national champion has gone undefeated and dropped from number one to number three. <laughs> Those guys like congratulations for that. <laughs> you know? um, I, I mean everybody, everybody has an axe to grind mm -hmm. in this Final Four except for LSU, and I, I like that. Again, we're, we'll spend more time obviously in the next three weeks talking about this, but I like the fact that everybody has an axe to grind. Oklahoma's the team no one's talking about. Clemson is the forgotten national champion. Ohio State feels like they should be number one, and then there's just LSU sitting there. Hey, we'll play anybody anywhere. Well, you're, it's about to, it's mm -hmm. about, it's coming your way, brother. Um, and so we'll see, we'll see how all that works out. Oklahoma beats Baylor by a final score of thirty to twenty-three. The Sooners win the Big Twelve championship, and they are off to the Peach Bowl on December twenty-eighth to play against the LSU Tigers. Get your seats, get them right now. Let me tell you where you can go. Vivid seats. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for the events that you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section and the row of your choice, all within the Vivid Seats app. To make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back. They call it Vivid Seats Rewards. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee from the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater shows and more. Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and the join the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program today. And when it's time to buy, we got you hooked up. New users can enter the promo code OVERTIME. 
That's O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E. Enter the promo code OVERTIME at checkout and receive a discount of up to $100. My wife and my youngest son wanted Big 12 championship tickets for Christmas. So, Rich, this is what I did. And I bought them tickets and I saved some money. And so it's a cool thing how it works out. I mean, it's you save money throughout multiple purchases. I'm sure if you're a sports fan, you will enjoy having that discount uh, throughout uh, the first few purchases and also as you uh, build up those points. Let's talk about the Big 12 championship. Uh, the, the first, If you take the first and third quarters of this game as an Oklahoma fan, amazing. You take the third and the fourth quarters, uh, excuse me, the second and the fourth quarters of this game, and you're an Oklahoma fan, you're literally pulling your hair out. But at the end of the day, Oklahoma wins the game. And you know what they say? It's hard to beat a team twice. Oklahoma's had to do that two out of the last three seasons in Arlington. Beat TCU uh, two years ago. And then, of course, Texas was the team last year that had to try to beat someone twice. And Oklahoma gets the best of Texas. And then the Sooners just uh, a field goal better than, I mean, excuse me, a touchdown better than Baylor. But I, the field goal in the fourth quarter, I mean, I'll use up 10 nothing at the end of one. Baylor outscores Oklahoma 13 to nothing in the second. Sooners outscore Baylor 10 to nothing in the third. And then it's 10 to three is the margin in the fourth. And that field goal kind of is what made the difference to get this game into overtime. Let's start with the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, CeeDee Lamb just – I, I was there. I watched it from the stadium. Uh, CeeDee Lamb was incredible. I'm just mm-hmm. – so, and, and we – I mean, if you've been to games – Seeing Ceedee Lamb is nothing new, but to, he was he was on a different level. That that long run in the first quarter where he thinks I really think he honestly I think the only reason he got tackled was because he thought he was in the clear. I really do. Um, I think if he would have known someone else was behind him, he's going to drag that guy into the end zone. But I feel like he kind of let his guard down a little bit. But just to watch him play the way he played. Unbelievable talent. No doubt in my mind, he's done at OU. No, I mean, I was, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm that guy who kind of waits on things. If you're not a senior, I'm, I'm kind of waiting on you. To see that performance against what was the best defense in the Big 12, he's gone. He, I mean, he's just gone. Right. But when you're LSU and you're looking at Oklahoma, you you better account for this guy. And, and that's, We'll, we'll jump into that later, but I mean, I'm this this guy. In my opinion, this is going to be controversial, but I think if if you really watch football, this guy is the best player in America. There is nobody in my mind right now who is better with the ball in their hands in space than Ceedee Lamb. And look how Oklahoma I'm, used. I'm not they even going to say space. Well, yeah, I mean, they they put him everywhere. I, I mean, I just I. You can't run away or walk away from this game without absolutely loving. And and we talked about it on, on the Thursday night preview podcast. What difference would CD Lamb make? Mm-hmm. Turns out he made all the difference in the world. <laughs> right. When we look at CD Lamb, one of the biggest difference, Matt, for me in his style of play and what he's capable of from last year to this year. Now we knew that CD Lamb was a good talent coming in to college. We knew that he was had the potential to produce at a very high level. What we're seeing transition him from last year to this year and why he's 
in the conversation as a Bolitnikov finalist. I I believe he put a stamp on that in the Big 12 championship game, a game obviously he misses Baylor first time around, comes back. I believe he had six catches, 54 yards in the two games after that. And so for him to put up these kinds of, of numbers, what was it, 173 receiving yards on eight mm-hmm. receptions. The 21.6 yards, that, that's huge right there. To know you caught the ball eight times and averaged almost 22 yards a catch. The difference between CeeDee Lane last year and this year is... Night and day. It is night and day, but but there's a very specific area that I'm looking at, and it's, it's yards just, yards after oh, contact. I thought you were talking about physically. I mean, because no, he, he's a well, that has to do he's with a it. Different physical specimen, right? But it, it's been the yards after contact. We can go back even to the Texas game where it was very apparent that C.D. Lamb, if if you didn't bring him down, he wasn't going down. These simple bumps or arm tackles weren't gonna weren't going to bring him to the turf that he was going to continue moving that ball towards the end zone and just make defenses look absolutely silly. We saw that once again with Baylor and what should have been a tackle and he ends up breaking free and is now running free down the sideline. It's, I don't know how you say this is what I want to do this year and specifically mention yards after contact and then make it happen. That's one of those things that will continuously evade <laughs> my knowledge. Mm-hmm. But C.D. Lamb's figured it out, and like I said, he's done exceptionally well. What's really going to be interesting with C.D. Lamb, talking about the college football playoff again, is Jamar Chase is going to be on the opposite side of the field. These are the two guys who are in the Bolitnikov finalists, or two of the three Bolitnikov finalists who are in the thick of it. They are the guys who who it's either going to be Lamb or it's going to be Chase. No one's really talking about the third candidate. So seeing these guys side by side, granted the award will have been given out at that point in time, but seeing them on the same field, being able to do this, what everyone likes to call the eye test. I know I used that at the beginning of this podcast as well. It's going to be an interesting ride comparing those two. Yeah, let's, let's just move on from C. Lamb and go, and go to Kennedy Brooks, um, more specifically his injury. Tell me from your perspective, seeing that on on television. I, I'm, I'm in this. I'm in the stadium. I watched the the replay on that giant screen down in in Jerry World. I did, I mean, it didn't look that bad to me. Lincoln Riley said after the game, uh, "There's this too way too early to update on on him or Buki. Uh, you, you know for sure it's a." Uh, it's a concussion protocol for Buki. He, you know, he just got, you know, trucked by a quarterback. Which, by the way, I mean, game's over. We love Buki. Buki's had a great season. We talked about him Thursday night, the turnaround. But come on, man, he's going to catch some crap in that locker room uh, over that play. I mean, <laughs> getting trucked by a quarterback to to me, if you're a defensive player, the only thing worse, the only thing worse than getting trucked by a quarterback is a kicker. There, there's not a there's not a worse position on the field that you want to get run over than if you if if you like hey man the kicker or the quarterback who's going to run you over well you're going to pick the quarterback but those are the two bottom guys that that you want to get run over by um, but I, I mean you got 20 days you wonder how mm-hmm. how when you're in that pro- concussion protocol how long is it going to take because this is a game against LSU that really shapes up for a guy like Buki because you're going to need more coverage options. And I think that he would be a strength, obviously an asset in Oklahoma's secondary. Uh, it's not I – mean, if it was 
if it was where there's a heavy, heavy run, like the, tra- the traditional SEC offenses, Alabama last year and so forth, you're like, you know, you want to have a bigger guy in there to give run support. But the way Joe Burrow is throwing the ball around the yard, you want the coverage guys. So you hope, you know, three weeks is, is enough time to get him healed up. But no word on Kennedy Brooks. Obviously, again, he's the best option that he's healthy. But I've been talking about Ramon J. Stevenson. Mm-hmm. I've been talking about him for a long time. And, um, you know, again, you talk about guys that just have a different – vibe when they're on the when they're on the field this was the as close as i've been to seeing him in person and he's that guy i mean he again i know i've been quote crushing on this guy since day one but he's going to be have a huge role i mean i think before his time's over at oklahoma this is a kid that's going to go down as a massive playmaker um, he's powerful and I'm okay if we have to roll with Ramondre, I guess is what I'm saying. When it came to, to Kennedy Brooks, you were asking the question from, from a standpoint of someone who wasn't in the stadium. It was a, a pretty vicious collision mm-hmm. is the, really the only way to describe that from my vantage point. And the reason being is there's no ability for the body to recoil in that situation. Kennedy Brooks is obviously there are several players draped on his back as he's falling forward. The hit comes in. I don't think there was any malicious intent. There was leading with the shoulder. I, I think that's very evident. Um, and it's just an unfortunate situation because it's one of those it's a matter of, of milliseconds where the position of a player's head is at in relation to someone else. And it's that unfortunate situation, no ability to recoil his body <laughs> coming down forward and another player diving in there. The injury, like I said, Matt, it, I, I can't blame anyone in this game for removing someone because mm-hmm. you're looking at it as – yeah, we want to we want to put all the cards on the table. We want to have our our best foot forward, but ultimately, I know the health of the players has been something that's been at the forefront of the conversation for quite some time. You've also got to look at the future of these players, the future of your program, and know that this isn't the last game that these players will will ever play. So err on the side of caution, mm-hmm. which is what I believe Baylor did with Charlie Brewer because that hit. I, I don't know how. They entered concussion protocol with him. It, there was no jarring movement of the neck or head when that one went down. But err on the side of caution and and let these kids play another day. Well, I have I have opposite feelings for Charlie Brewer than I do for Kennedy Brooks. You could tell. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, well, yeah, and, 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 and even the refs had pulled him aside. Well, and here's the thing: kudos to Oklahoma. First of all. For putting Charlie Brewer in the situation. You never want to see someone get hurt. But that was a situation that needed to happen because Brewer had just run over Buki. Buki's out of the game. The next man that he met in the hole was Kenneth Murray. And that, I mean, when that happened, when he hit uh, Radley Hiles, that Baylor, that, that north side of the stadium was as loud as they had been to that point of the game. And then the next, the next time he goes to that hole, the very next play. Well, Charlie Brewer was that was a tackle for loss in the backfield. Not Just on, a blitz from Murray coming through the. Well, that's the what backfield. I'm saying. No, I'm, I'm talking about when he, when he, when he hit mm-hmm. Bradley Hiles. Okay, okay. The north side of the stadium was amazingly loud. Then the very next play, 
it's it's Kenneth Murray. It's not Buki. And then the next play was the play I really think got him was the sack by Kenneth Murray. So mm-hmm. back-to-back plays, he's getting destroyed by Kenneth Murray. And you could tell at that moment, you could tell. You could tell he was he was hurt. There was something not right. Mm-hmm. The, just the way he laid there for a few minutes, the way he kind of wobbled off the field. And then to see him right back in the game, I, I don't – where I say, yeah, they took the protocol. I mean, Buki came back in just for one or two plays, and then he's done. But it was a while before he came back in. Mm-hmm. Charlie Brewer was back in immediately. Right. And, there, I mean, it was a awkward – you're looking around. I mean, even Baylor fans, media people, you look at the Twitter timeline for that. Everyone's like, why is he back in the game? Why is he playing right now? Mm-hmm. And where I, I just I, I feel like I've been a big Matt Rule fan, and this isn't this isn't changing my opinion of Matt Rule. I think he's a heck of a coach, and he's clearly a competitor. He made a mistake by putting Charlie Brewer right back in that game. That's 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 my only point on that. I I you wanted you you want these guys healthy. You want to take care of them, but yeah, the competitor in you, whether it's as a fan or a coach or a player, you want them on the field. They shouldn't have put Charlie Brewer back out on the field. That's just that's my take. Right, and I'm gonna piggyback that statement because I, I get the options behind Charlie Brewer are unproven in the passing game. Hey, we talked about Bohannon. Well, yeah, one of the things I told with, you to be ready. Be ready with, for Bohannon. With Jerry Bohannon, I, I, and they mentioned this on the broadcast, was Baylor had benefited greatly. I know we were set to talk about the Oklahoma offense. Clearly not doing that. But Jerry Bohannon steps in. Now, he has three quarters of experience leading up to the Big 12 championship game. All that came in the past two weeks. Mm-hmm. I thought they benefited greatly from that. I thought they would have some success because there were moments where we – and we had mentioned this leading up to the game – was Oklahoma's inability to set the edge. We saw that creep up once. Something goes for a big gain around the edge there. But needless to say, I thought Jerry Bohannon coming in, they were going to try to exploit that, and they never really were capable of it. Now all of a sudden is, okay, this isn't working. We can't exploit that corner like we thought or the edge like we thought. So we're going to drop down to Jacob Zeno, who, by the way, I don't know that anyone had seen him play. I believe he had two passes on the entire season, makes six passes in this game and becomes the <laughs> the the passing leader for Baylor on two of those. Extremely unexpected. Um, but how do you how do you even game plan for something like that? How do you say, you know, here's Charlie Brewer, the starting quarterback. No, no, no. Let's game plan for the third string quarterback when he steps in and the talents and abilities that he possesses. Because I believe Baylor has Something there. I'm not saying that he's the next great thing. I'm not saying that he's going to reach Robert Griffin's status at Baylor, but I am saying that the kid has talent. Well, neither one of them can throw, and that's that's why that's why they went away from Bohannon because his strength is the running game. But he, the kid was four fifteen throwing. Now he had the the what was it I mean, 30, 30 something yard touchdown pass. Well, and let, let's be honest here. A lot of that's because of the pressure that Oklahoma was getting. Well. But that right, but I'm saying they can't throw the ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're in part of it is I mean, I know Bohannon's a, a a freshman, so he's got 
He's got time to develop. Is he not a freshman? You're, you're looking I didn't, at me. I didn't think that he was. You're, you're because, looking at me like because I'm crazy. Zeno's, Zeno's yeah, he's a freshman. freshman. He's a freshman. You're you're making me think I don't know Man. what I'm talking about, dude. Um, but uh, but uh, they're young, and so they they've got time to develop. But I, I the reason the reason Bohannon was was yanked was because he was four fifteen, mm-hmm. and and Oklahoma clearly was prepared for him. They they. They listen to the Sooner Nation podcast. <laughs> um, no, I really do believe, and I was telling people. I mean, when when Brew was woozy, and they were like, "Oh yeah, Charlie Brewer's out," and I was mm. like, "Hey, this kid can run." And the first play or two, he showed his speed, but then they said, "Okay, we're going to change the defense right. to what we're there." You don't shut a guy down like that unless mm-hmm. you're prepared. Right, they were prepared for him, and and a lot of his his skill set was on tape, so that was very yeah. beneficial. Yeah, and and they just and, and they. They can't. They're not developed passers yet, mm-hmm. and that's. But that's not an excuse for Baylor losing because Charlie Brewer was fifty percent when he went out. Now, he wasn't. He wasn't lighting, setting the mm-hmm. world on fire either. Oklahoma's defensive game plan was spectacular, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. But I want to come back around because uh, I want. We can't. We can't leave this section without talking about Jalen Hurts, who I thought was. A game manager on Saturday. I, I didn't think. I, I I told you before we started recording. I you know, I had to do my vote. I had to, I waited when I got home from Dallas Saturday night. I I did my Maxwell vote, but I was hoping I would see something from Jalen Hurts and that um, that Joe Burrow would struggle uh, against Georgia and Atlanta, and that would give me cause to put Jalen Hurts number one. But it just wasn't there. He was a game manager. He wasn't spectacular with his feet, and that's not a knock against Jalen Hurts. I mean, he carried the ball 23 times, but only averaged 1.7 yards per carry. Some of that is in the sacks, though, um, that that Baylor was able to, because for a quarterback, those sacks, <clears throat> excuse me, those sacks come uh, against your your running your rushing yards, and he was sacked three times. The point is, I, there, the the interception was bad. Jalen Hurts' interception was a bad read, stared the guy down, should have never pulled the trigger on that. Everybody saw that coming when in real time. The fumble's not his fault. I don't I don't give Jalen Hurts – I'm not going to criticize him for that fumble because when you're a quarterback and you're in that position, your arm's back, you're getting ready to pull the trigger, that's the most vulnerable you ever mm-hmm. are. And that's why you have an offensive line. Your offensive line is right. supposed to protect you from moments like this – and I don't think Oklahoma's offensive line is bad. I think Baylor's just really good on defense. And when you're when you're in those positions and you're Oklahoma offensively, they they got more, they got just as much as they took as far as the physicality of that offense versus Baylor's defense. But that's a play that Baylor won. And if you're gonna if you're gonna fault somebody for that play, you fault the offensive line. I don't think you fault Jalen Hurts. Interception clearly on him. At the end of the day, I don't think you can give the MVP award offensively to anybody other than CeeDee Lamb. I agree with that statement. To to the turnovers, one of the things we had said heading into the game was Oklahoma can't get behind in the turnover margin. It almost felt as though luck would run out, so to speak. The two turnovers there obviously proved extremely costly. They weren't in the same position. They weren't in the red zone this time. But you look in the first half, and I believe both of those turnovers happened in the first half. Am I incorrect in that? Yeah, and it led to 10 points. Right. And so every time 
Oklahoma turned the ball over and Baylor secured a takeaway, it was inside their own 30-yard line. You set someone up to score if you're turning the ball over. So we just flipped the field and the turnovers from the first time around to the second time around. Like I said, proved costly. I believe it's the reason why Oklahoma and Baylor went to overtime. Otherwise, I I think Oklahoma wins this one. It's still a close game, but I think they win it without going to overtime. And then to the player of the game statement, CeeDee Lamb proved that he's just a man amongst boys. He's that guy who is extremely reliable, and you know that he has the the knowledge of recognizing when a defense is going to start playing a zone, and he just finds a place where he can sit down in the middle of it, and it always provides a big boost to this offense or sustains a drive for Jalen Hurts and the rest of the, the, the unit there. Yeah, and, and again, I, I don't want to make a habit out of these type of things, but I was totally wrong on Oklahoma's rushing attack. I, I mean, again, I, I said Thursday night I expected, you know, I expected Baylor to wilt. I, I thought, look, Oklahoma, they found the magic formula. You just keep leaning on this defense and leaning on this mm-hmm. defense. And they faded. They clearly faded in Waco. They didn't fade on Saturday in Arlington. This they were up to the challenge. And again, you gotta just give credit to to Matt rule and the physicality of the nature of his coaching style to get those guys ready. They're like, look, man, they're coming. Here's what they're going to do. And you have to be ready for it. And I just kept waiting and waiting and waiting. I do think I will say this. I do think it paid dividends in the overtime with Ramondre Stevenson getting that touchdown in overtime face mask clearly helped out on that on Oklahoma's overtime possession that put Oklahoma in good position. Mm-hmm. But I, I think at that point there was frustration that you could tell when, when they threw the flag, the guy who pulled, I can't remember who it was now, but the guy who, who yanked on, on his face mask on, on city's face mask, he was mad. He was frustrated. People around him were frustrated. It, it was a situation where, you could tell, okay, take advantage of this moment, and that's o- what Oklahoma ended up doing with Ramondre Stevenson um, getting in there and scoring the what ended up being the game-winning touchdown. Right now, but no, hang on, I'm just gonna say you got to give Baylor credit; they mm-hmm, just kept absolutely, coming. absolutely, and, and there's a reason that this defensive line, that this defense as a whole, has been one of the better ones in the conference. And they talked about you guys probably didn't hear this in the stadium, but before this season began. Baylor's defensive coordinator had challenged the defense to come up with 43, 43 exact, by the way, Matt, um, tackles for loss as, or maybe it was sacks specifically 43 sacks and 30 takeaways. Guess what numbers they hit on Saturday, 43 and 30. And the defensive coordinator guaranteed this team would have a 10 win season. He's on to something. He clearly has a correct formula for getting to the goal of 10 wins. They made it this year. Can they sustain that will be the question moving forward. But you look at the effort, you look at some of this unheralded talent that Baylor has pulled in. You talk about the guys who have something to prove on that Baylor defense, because when everything began to go south in Waco, there was an option for them to leave. There was an option for them to put that in their past and move on. Now, some did, but some chose to stay. And we're seeing those ones that chose to stay become these impact players for that defensive unit specifically. When I'm looking at Oklahoma and running the ball, 
I think we did get it right in a sense because we expected a very similar game plan to what we saw against TCU, to what we saw against Oklahoma State as well, which that was a run-heavy game plan. Oklahoma runs the ball 50 times, throws 24. That was the expectation. But sure, give credit, and and this is going to go both ways when we get to the Oklahoma defense. Give credit to that defensive front seven for stepping up and saying it doesn't matter who's coming through the hole. We're bringing them down because Oklahoma, 50 rushes, 146 yards. You can do the math and come up on that with that average for me, but it's under three. It's 2.8, I believe. It's my guess. (laughs) Well, at the end of the day, everybody was talking about um, two point nine. By the way, everybody was talking about uh, defense after that game. So I guess we need to talk about that right now. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oklahoma's defense, stellar in the first and the third quarters. Again, you take away the two turnovers in the second quarter, and Baylor doesn't have 13 points at the half. They have three there were some long plays that, you know, you had the long touchdown um, that went up the, the north sideline. And then you had what I'm just going to throw this out there. The play of the day for Oklahoma's defense, the play that saved <laughs> the game Brown. was Trey Brown. Because if, Pre- if Trey Brown does, and I, we have a post up at Heartland Sports, if Trey Brown doesn't tackle Chris Platt, seriously, what's this conversation like today? I don't know. Matt, I, I really don't know because that changes your, your entire game plan. Oklahoma, they held them to the field goal after that, correct? Right, which yeah. which tied the game right. but made 23-23 mm-hmm. instead of being down 27. And then you're down 27-23, that fourth and two. Are you going for it there if you're mm-hmm. Lincoln Riley? Here, here's what you need to know about the defensive performance on Saturday. This, I mean, if you think about this, it will blow your mind. When the game on the line, Lincoln Riley chose to pull his offense off the field and trust his defense. And I have zero issues with that, given given the resume that we've seen throughout the second half, the first seven games, but late in, in the second half of each contest. A hundred percent. I'm okay. I'm a, I'm a hundred percent. I actually, uh, when they punted, and of course, I mean, Munchau, to, to have that punt down inside the one-yard line, amazing. Mm-hmm. And then Baylor's just like, no, we're not going to try. I mean, we're, we're, we saw we saw the corner blitz last year on Sam Ellinger, not even going to try <laughs> it. Let's just get this thing to overtime. I mean, that's all you need to know about Oklahoma's defense. There, there were big plays all around by this defense. There, the Sooners had a total of, of six sacks on the afternoon, uh, 15 tackles for a loss. This was a, a, a better than solid game plan and an extraordinary execution uh, of, that, of the game plan. I, 
I mean, Oklahoma's defense was lights out. And we talked about the speed of Baylor's receivers. We talked about stuff the run. Remember we, we said, hey, we're going mm-hmm. to defend Baylor. The first thing we want to do is we want to stop the run. Second thing we want to do is take away the underneath passes. And then we want to win those 50-50 balls. They got two out of three. I mean, they stopped the run. They took away the underneath passes. They just let a couple of them get the, those 50-50 balls get away from them. There's one that clearly should have been an interception that just <laughs> an incredible play by by Baylor and you got we talked about those receivers we talked about their speed we talked about their their athleticism we talked about their size they're going to win some of those but you know what here's what it comes down to if you're Oklahoma's defense and we're going to jump into a, a false narrative here in just a little bit but if you're Oklahoma's defense you're, here's here's what you're here's what you're beating your chest about this this week only only one team has beaten Baylor this year so 11 other schools on their schedule didn't come out on the plus side against this team. And in both games, in both games that you won, your offense turned the ball over multiple times, and yet you still walked off the field a winner because you shut down this offense. That, that's all that needs to be said. I, if I'm grading these things out, I'm definitely grading out the defense higher than the offense. The one thing... When I look at this Oklahoma defense against the Baylor offense that sticks out to me is if you're looking at a stat sheet, there's a name that is is very evident that it's missing. Want to take a guess at who that is? Neville Gallimore. Denzel Mims. Oh. <laughs> I thought we were talking about no, defense. We are. We, okay. we are. Okay. But at the same time. Well, I mean, I thought we were talking about Oklahoma's defense. Yeah, well, players. coming into this game, you Not heard a lot about you heard a lot about Denzel Mims. You heard a lot about the capabilities vertically for him, the abilities to essentially beat any cornerback or defensive back Mm -hmm. who was lined up against him. And throughout the season, we've seen that that's been the case. Here in Arlington in the Big 12 Championship, Denzel Mims records zero receptions for zero yards. It's not to say that he wasn't targeted. But there were zero receptions. And that told me everything that I needed to know about this defense, mm-hmm. specifically about the secondary. And how would they how would they handle or how would they respond to a group that they knew was going to be physical at the line of scrimmage? How would they handle a group of receivers who was ultimately going to challenge them in numerous ways. Now, the second thing that I do want to say about the defense, because I've said it time and time again, feel like I've got to say it today, is there were opportunities for turnovers. There were opportunities for takeaways. There were two very specific moments. I know at one point in time, Baylor fumbles the ball, and it goes right through the feet of an Oklahoma that defender. A, that was on a punt. It was. It? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking at the ability that would have changed the game drastically Mm -hmm. because Oklahoma would have had that inside the 30 of of Baylor, Um, which I said their own 30 when I was talking about Baylor and Oklahoma turning the ball over. Let me go back and correct that. Oklahoma turned turned the ball over. Yeah, it was in their own. In Oklahoma's Mm -hmm. 30, giving Baylor that opportunity to score quick and easy. But again, looking at the defense, opportunities there. I keep waiting and I keep wishing and I keep hoping that those opportunities 
turn into numbers on the stat sheet. Will it happen tomorrow? I, I don't know. Well, they don't play anybody. Tomorrow. I know. Will it happen on December 28th? Is that better for you? Will, will it happen then? Or are we going to have to wait until next year? I, I think it's a process. I mean, it's mm-hmm. you can't – there's no one who can walk away from a 13-game season and think – this defense hasn't improved for Oklahoma. Oh, I I completely agree with that. Steve. Unless you're the guys at Fox for some reason who just think this this because defense is they terrible. haven't watched any well, that, games. Exactly, Jim Moore. There's a reason why he's not coaching football anymore, and he's just as bad as an analyst as he was uh, as a coach. Um, but the, the I, I've got nothing but good on the defense. Nothing but good. Right. And and I I, 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 mean, I, I, mean, I, I get what you're saying. The turnover, the, the opportunities were there. There was the one, the long, like I was talking about the long mm-hmm. pass that I think it was DTL had a break on it. For some reason, he's laying on the ground trying to catch this pass. I mean, I just, <laughs> I'm looking at it going, what are you doing, you know? And then the receiver just flies in there and, and makes the catch last second. I mean, what you're supposed to be doing as a defensive back, and honestly what he was trying to do, and I just lost his footing, you're supposed to move to the ball. You don't wait on the ball. You move to the ball. But honestly, it was almost that ball floated like – it's almost like you're fielding a punt. Mm-hmm. That that was a prime opportunity that, that just passed by. The, the the fumble and the punt return where I think it was actually Caleb Kelly who kicked it, and, and that's why it got away from him. All that said, I got no problems. No problems at all with the defense. I, I loved what I saw. I loved the tenacity. I loved the intensity. And and again, going back, a crucial moment in this game early was the Charlie Brewer hit. Not because they hurt him. And like I said, I just didn't see how that that resulted in him being removed from the game. Well, I mean, it was. I mean, I'm just saying that that was a in itself was a momentum shift because that was the knock. We've talked about this. That was the knock against Oklahoma's defense. They're not physical. You hit them and they're going to wilt. Well, that was the punch. They they that was a significant punch when Buki got rattled by the quarterback. The next two plays, quarterback's done. Again, I'm not celebrating an injury, but I'm just mm-hmm. saying the momentum, the that Baylor sideline went from just as loud as they had been to that point in the game to absolute crickets. And it was like, oh dang. You know, and that's when if you're watching this game and you don't have a lot of knowledge about the the previous twelve games, that's when you realize that that light bulb moment. This isn't the same defense that Oklahoma fielded in 2018. The physicality, the the level has increased, and these guys take it personal, and I love that. Well, let's ask the question then, because it was something that people continuously bring up. And as we head towards the college football playoff, we slowly march in that direction. I'm seeing headlines that are of this nature. Oklahoma fans should be worried. Things things like that. But I want to go back and just ask this simple question. Does the Big 12 play defense? Can can the Big 12 make that claim after this year? Because you have the staples of Gary Patterson always fields a quality defense that is going to challenge you despite how good that team is record-wise. You've got Matt Campbell who has entered the conversation and is now leading this charge of being a defensive first 
program and then bringing the offense along. Matt Rule appears to be in that same mentality, mode, mindset, because his team two years ago went 1-11, and and this year they're 11-1, and and it's because of that the defense that they're putting on the field. To what? Eleven and two. Well, eleven and two now. Yes, my my apologies. They got eleven wins. That's what's important. Okay, um, they, they went one and eleven. Now they've got eleven wins. Um, here, here's the thing. You you've got to. You, the answer to the question is yes, but there's there's an asterisk there because you've got to you've got to realize two things. The first thing you have to realize is that the and, and this just is what it is and. The, the dynamic of the Big 12 offense this year is not what it was last year. You, you talk about the the star power quarterbacks in this conference, the 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 the, the upperclassmen along the offensive lines in this conference, the the skill position players, and they're not they're not there in 2019 like they were in 2018. The the real answer to this part is how good are the Big 12 offenses? That's coming in the bowl season, and then we'll find out. We'll find out because that's something we find out every year. You know, last year everyone dogged the Big Twelve. Well, they just don't play defense in the Big Twelve. Those offenses in the Big Twelve were really good, and the the bowl opponents found out. You know, the Big Twelve had a winning record against the SEC in the bowl season last year. Every, I think every team that the Big Twelve played gave up more points than their season average except for one in the bowl season last year. So we'll find out more about just the quality of the Big 12 offenses here in just a few weeks when the bowl season gets started. Big 12 doesn't play their first bowl game until the 28th of December, and then we'll know more from that point forward. But the other thing that you got to realize here is that is that Lincoln Riley, he's one of the guys. Some of these other guys have realized, i got to slow the offense down because – the defense just doesn't have time. It's not. It's not just as much as you got to rest these guys. It's not from a physical endurance perspective. But if I'm a defensive coordinator or a linebackers coach or a secondary coach, I need some time to coach these. Coach my guys. You know, you, you give up a score defensively. Two plays later, your offense scores, and you got to go back out on the field. I've got zero time to make an adjustment with you. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I think the Big 12, some of these coaches have 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 acknowledged that and are getting are they're kind of changing that. And then one other thing to think about is Cliff Kingsbury and Dana Holgerson are gone from this conference. And those were two guys that were the offensive minds, the the geniuses along with Lincoln Riley that just kind of I mean it, it, you you mentioned Gary Patterson, you mentioned Matt Campbell. It's a defensive as far as the the root of the coach you know their core. It's it's a defensive minded um, conference now, in my opinion. Well, and um, Alex Grinch is quickly adding his name right, to that conversation. Right. He's Let's, just not the head coach. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
let's talk about um, two things. Really, I, I want to throw one out there that's not on on your roster. There, a couple of um, a couple of narratives that just have to. We got to put them to bed. They've got to die. The, these narratives have just got to be done. And, and there are two. I'm going to give you a third one, but there's two of them I want to discuss real fast. We got about ten minutes left. The first one we've already talked about. Oklahoma doesn't play defense. How? How can you say that? How, if, if you're saying right now, uh, this may – listen, if you got fluffy feelings, you might want to mute your podcast for the next 10 seconds, all right? If you come away after 13 games saying Oklahoma doesn't play defense, you are ignorant about football. I'm just going to throw that out there. This team plays defense. You know what everyone was talking about after the Big 12 championship game? Both media rooms, both press conferences, they're talking about the defense that was played in this game. You can't you can't have watched this game and not seen defense. Oklahoma fans, you we're we're just as guilty as Jim Moore because I'm walking out of the stadium yesterday with a thousand other Oklahoma fans, and I'm hearing people say, well, if the defense wouldn't have given up this play, then we would, you know, I'm like, dude, just <laughs> stop. Just stop it. Just just admit you don't know football if you're saying Oklahoma doesn't play defense. Just say right now, I don't know football. I don't. I know what I know what the people on TV are saying. Matt, the, but I don't know football. That's a harsh statement because we know people, you and I personally, who have said those exact hey, words. I love them. I love, after, I love I love all my friends, okay? And I after, love all the podcast listeners. I'm sticking to my guns. You don't know football. And and I'm not disagreeing with your statement. I'm just saying if some backlash comes your way, That's okay. you asked for I'll, it. I'll, I'll I'll gladly take it. All right. So that that you got stats there, defensive stats. Yeah, I actually was just pulling them up because one of the big conversation starters for anyone who wanted to talk sports was the turnaround for the the defense. And I was curious after Saturday's contest, was it possible for Oklahoma to move up in the national total defense? Was was it possible for them to move up in that statistical category? At the end of the regular season, Oklahoma's twenty sixth. After this game, they are now twenty fourth. We are seeing improvements. It's a huge, it's a drastic improvement. I believe Oklahoma in two thousand seventeen was eighty seventh. I think in was it uh, last year they were a hundred and second. In total defense here, I would have to go back and look yeah, at those they, numbers. I think total but, they were in the nineties, like like ninety eight. No, 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 eighty seven and one hundred two. I'm okay. pretty all sure. Right, right. I'm pretty sure. Okay, we'll go back and look know, at those. But yeah. but here's the trend that we were noticing was something that was quickly going backwards instead of making the progress you would like to see. I get that a portion of that you can credit to a slower offense, an offense that isn't scoring every two or three possessions, but now taking seven to 10 or 11 before they actually put the ball in the end zone. It gives that defense a little bit more rest. If you want to attribute a little move there, I, I think I'll be willing to give that to you. But if you want to attribute it going from the hundreds to 24, it, it's not just in the pace of the game. Because this is still the Big 12. There are still teams who have that capability of moving the ball up and down the field at will. At will, your your simple hope is that you can just get one, just one stop throughout the duration of a game and hope that it, it equals 
the when. We're seeing a complete and drastic overhaul. I think specifically when you look at Oklahoma, and it's the approach to the defense, but it's also utilizing the instincts that these players have and why they excelled at the high school level and just taking a key, unlocking the cage, and saying, here you go. Play your brand of football. I think the the biggest name, the most recon, not recognizable name, but the the player that we would recognize that the most, in in my opinion, was Turner Yell, and you saw him utilized in, in various asset or various facets of the game on Saturday. But a lot of it was his instincts as a safety. As soon as he recognized that it was a run play, what was he doing? He was up in run support and he was making the tackle three tackles for loss. Isn't just by design that comes by instinct as well. And so I I'm just going to give a hat tip here. Agree with what you're saying about Oklahoma playing defense, but just saying and looking at what this coaching staff is doing by allowing these young but still moldable players to begin to play a brand of football that that they know and that they were recruited for. Here's the last thing we'll say about that. Oklahoma played the number seven team in the country. They are undefeated against all other opponents. Eight first downs, three of 15 on third down, 0 for 1 on fourth down, Less than 300 total yards of offense, 265, and 1.2 yards per carry average, 29 rushing yards total for the game. Please don't tell me Oklahoma doesn't play defense. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Don't do it. Well, they had the backup quarterback, and then, you know, you're not playing against the start. Don't. Just stop, okay? Just stop. And then uh, we didn't we, – well, I don't want to miss this moment – we didn't give our defensive player the game. We didn't. So give me yours. I'm I'm going to go with the individual that I had mentioned. I know statistically I he, he doesn't have the highest number of tackles, but I felt like he had a significant impact on the game. Sure, there was one major mistake in the secondary that led to a late score. Shouldn't have been a score, in my opinion, because the rotations were there just to, took a bad angle. Needless to say, I, I'm going with Turner Yell in this one. Yeah, DTL, DTL had a great game. You got to give Trey Brown uh, uh, just an honorable mention here. He only had one tackle in the game, but it, it was, was the most significant. Yeah, the most significant tackle of the day. But I'm going with my guy because I said – uh, in the preview that this was on him. Kenneth Murray, 10 total tackles to lead the team. Um, one sack, three total tackles for loss. So he's my guy. Okay. Second narrative that we got to put to bed and we're getting really, really short on time. And this is really easy, really easy. We got to stop saying you can't make the playoffs from the Big 12. Yeah, I agree. And the Big Be- 12. Uh, uh, yeah, because this is what we were talking about three or four weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We got to get out of the Big 12. We got to go with the SEC. Let's go. Let's look at the Pac 12. Let's look at the Big 10. We can't make the playoffs from the Big 12. Really? Because we just did it for the third year in a row and the fourth time in five years. So we, can we put this narrative to bed? And and this one, this is the first year, I believe, where it's not just a conversation centering around Oklahoma making the playoff. Mm-hmm. It's not a make or break deal that rides on the Sooners or on the shoulders of the Sooners, excuse me, because the winner of the Big 12 championship was in regardless 
of who that was. And I think I can make that that statement and speak for the entire country yeah, for sure. knowing that that was the possibility or that was the probability. The odds on favorite was the Big 12 to get that fourth spot, like I said, regardless of winner. I know we had Baylor and TCU previously who were vying for that spot. Neither made it because of no no conference championship game. But here was the argument I wanted to make. Big 10, SEC, clearly the, the best two conferences this year in the country. But the Big 12's third. Mm-hmm. How does the third best conference not even have a shot when you have an ACC, a Clemson team? Sure, they're undefeated. But there are no ranked teams from the ACC minus Clemson there. I think it's just time for some fans to look in the mirror and say, you lost to Kansas State. It sucked really bad. Get mad at your team and stop blaming the conference. Honestly, that's what – I mean, you and I have been saying for over a month now, Oklahoma's in. You win and you're in. We've been saying that for a month. We just got to – I mean, we just got to drop stupid narratives. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm in the mood to offend people because I'm going to do one more. I got a bonus one, okay? Go for it. Here's the narrative we got to get rid of. The officials are out to get us. The officials don't like us. And they want us to lose. No, the officials are just bad, okay? They're just bad. They're not biased against Oklahoma. Let me tell you what I experienced on Saturday. You'll know the play. Everyone listening to this podcast will know the play. Charleston Rambo catches the ball, gets a foot in, but he doesn't have possession of the ball. Ball is clearly moving. He's not gained possession of the ball. He doesn't control it while he's in bounds. It's not Parnell Motley and Stillwater. This clearly is not a catch. So Joe Oklahoma fan is irate at how the officials are hosing us over, right? And you know what happens a couple of plays later? Oklahoma sacks the quarterback. It's Bohannon. When Bohannon hits the ground, ball comes loose. I think it might have been Nick Bonito picks it up and is running towards the end zone. The play's called dead. They look at it, you know, players down by contact, balls out. Even on the replay in this, I mean, it is the biggest big screen I've ever seen in my life. If you've never been to Texas Stadium, you don't understand, but a lot of people have been there. You know what I'm talking about. Clearly, the guy's down. You know what Joe Sooner fan does? He loses his mind. And leaves the game. I'm not staying for this. I'm not doing this anymore. We can't beat this team and the officials until the Big 12 stops cheating us. I'm not watching any more football. Sorry, man. You're not a no-you fan. I mean, I mean, I'm just like, bye. <laughs> I mean, look, the Big 12 officials are just bad. They're bad. But there wasn't a call, an official call or a review in Saturday's game that went against Oklahoma that wasn't justified. So let's drop that. Uh, let's, hey, let's drop that yeah, narrative, can I, we? Absolutely. I, I'm just going to correct myself here. I went back and looked at the stats. You're not to- even paying attention. Total to defense here, Oklahoma. I don't, I don't even want to talk to you anymore. Oklahoma, 67, 2017, 114. 114, Matt, in 2018. All right, Big 12 bowl schedule. We got to close this out. We'll talk more LSU, Oklahoma in the days to come. Big 12 bowl schedule, Friday, December 27th. I'm going to correct myself. I said the Big 12 bowl season didn't start until the 28th, but Friday, December 27th, Oklahoma State against Texas A&M. 
the Academy of Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl. I'm curious, is Chuba Hubbard going to play? That's a conversation to have later on down the road. Uh, the Camping World Bowl, Notre Dame versus Iowa State. That's going to be a fun That'll game. That'll be a good one. Oklahoma and the chick and the, the Peach Bowl. I'm I'm just gonna I'm done with these advertisements. They're not paying us. The Peach Bowl, Oklahoma, LSU, Navy, Kansas State in the Liberty Bowl, Utah, Texas, and the Alamo Bowl. Go Utes. And then uh the Sugar Bowl, Georgia versus Baylor. Texas is gonna be the only Big Twelve team I will not cheer for. Okay. I, I just, I, I'm not doing it. I'm sorry. I'm just not doing it. Okay. They're going to win. I, I, Texas is going to win this game, by the way. I don't think so. Yeah, they are. No, um, I think there's too many struggles. No, Utah's a terrible there. team. Utah's probably the most overrated 11 team in America. in the yeah. country. They were five. Imagine that. They were five last week. Yeah, Four. so was yeah, Alabama. Five. And guess oh, where they yeah. dropped well, number look, 12. Alabama would beat Utah by four touchdowns. Just I don't disagree with that. Uh, Utah's not a good team. I so, just I just think Texas has given up on the season. Uh, we'll see about that. All right, that's that's it for us. He's Rich. I'm Matt. Sir Nation Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, catch us on Twitter at Sports Heartland, at Sports Heartland on Twitter. Hit us up on email Heartland underscore Sports at Yahoo.com. We'll love to hear from you. Have a great week. Boomer Sooner. <laughs>